0: All right, welcome. It's live on real estate, and uh, it's our first show of 2020, guys. Ooh. Yeah. How about that? Love it. Yeah. Excited here. We are in uh, sort of late-ish January, and uh, first podcast of the year. We got uh, Chris Pizzoli on the show today. How are you?
1: Morning. Morning. Good Good to be here. Yes, thank you. Mr. Henry
0: Doe.
2: Good morning. How a are
0: microphone issue everything's fine it's now? it's good
2: now it was a little loose before'
0: got Mr timeshare himself Chris Foster <laughs> it's me that last episode that timeshare story I'm just hoping you got something as good as that this week you know I'll figure it out <laughs> that was awesome I'm David Hall uh this is live on real estate the the 11th ranked. Mortgage and real estate podcast in the country right now, and uh, our goal is to get in, in the, the top world. five this year in, in the, the world. world. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. an
1: international list. A lot of good information
0: <laughs> coming uh, this week. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the Super Bowl coming up last uh, weekend. Chiefs and Forty Nine ers. I think it's going to be a really good. I'm, it's going to be a shootout. I'm kind of. I'm a. I'm a for whatever reason, I, I like the Chiefs. I want to see Andy Reid win. I'm kind of a Patrick Mahomes guy. Mm-hmm. But, man, the 49ers look good. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it go either way.
1: Yeah, it's real polarizing, Prediction: right? you got yeah. the high-powered offense of the Chiefs. You've got the running game of the uh, Niners. Niners yeah, defense. Defense. You've got the yeah. defense of the Niners. Yeah. And the
0: Classic Chiefs defense matchup.
2: is sort of the weak
0: link in the game, I
2: think, mm-hmm. which 100%. why I would give mm-hmm. a little little edge to the Niners. Chiefs like to get down quick, and then they just like, climb yeah. back.
0: Mm-hmm. Niners uh, beat up on uh, Mr. Foster's Packers. Sprite you were in a good mood, though, despite the loss, you know? Yeah,
3: you can't. Uh, I, 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 I knew it was coming, so okay, if they won, great. If they lost, what was expected?
0: So what's coming up on the show today? We're going to talk a little bit about 2020 housing market predictions, what to look for when you're buying a house, uh, some homeowner's insurance info beyond the pricing, good and bad real estate agents, rent versus buy, credit info, who should be refinancing right now. So certainly an action-packed show. We'll try to get to it all. We always miss something. We always highlight some other things. Who knows where the show could go, but uh, recap of the 2019 market, you know, rates of has been detailed dropping since July, and um, just in general, 2019 was a great year, in my opinion, for the consumer, whether you wanted to purchase a home, whether you wanted to sell a home, whether you were refinancing. I mean, just a lot of benefits for the consumer in 2019. I'm sure you guys saw it mainly the same way.
3: Yeah, I mean, 19 was great. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not to get into 20 already, but we're, you know, we're not seeing anything much different than we saw in 19 when it comes to rates. Hopefully, um, we continue to see that trend. But 2019 was a great year for, um, I know a lot of just, clients that we helped um, getting into new homes and a lot of clients that even refinanced or purchased in the start of 2019 refinanced again at the end of 2019 because that's how good the market
2: was. Yeah I think 2019 to put it in one word was a shock right because everyone thought that rates were going to go up and then next you know they kept going down and uh, people that purchased or refinanced early could do it again which is unheard of. Yeah a lot of of late 18 people saw rates at some of the highest we've seen in a little Mm -hmm. while, right? I mean,
1: we had times where rates were up over 5%. -hmm. And those people took advantage to get down most like most under 4%. That's right. Yeah,
0: and, and it continues on here in 2020. But certainly 2019, a great year. And as we look towards 2020, you know, folks have been emailing us and sending us information, wanting to know on what we see in 2020. I think that, you know, one of the big pieces of financial information that I wanted to share about what's coming up is, just a little something that I snipped out about jobless claims reaching an all-time low, average wages continuing to rise, interest rates staying low. Everybody's predicting an increase in millennials and first-time buyers looking for those entry-level homes. Now, the the, the part about that that's tough is those are hot commodities. You know, they go fast. There's not a lot of inventory. Um, you know, there's been some detail around about how. Builders aren't building as many first-time home buyer type homes, so that inventory is a little sparse, and depending on where you live, because we have listeners from California to Florida all the way here in Michigan where we are, you know, you got different price points for those first-time homebuyers, but I think that the big thing, guys, is like for folks that are looking to get into the market and maybe purchase their first home, what kind of advice do you give them, especially because that frustration level of not being able to get what they want becomes very real and we've seen people that get pre-approved and then they kind of bow out after a couple of months because it gets to be too much.
1: You know, I'd say with the first-time buyers, one of the nice things, and I think we need to remind them or remember, is they're usually not in like a time crunch, right? They don't have like some pressing need of like this is happening or a job change or whatever the case may be that it's or a house they're selling or that's already sold that dictates their time frame. So... You know they're fortunate because they have that ability to kind of take their time, you know. And I think we, as being the professionals on this side of the fence, need to remind them sometimes of that. Yeah. You know. Um, But there does become a frustration point.
0: There does. For some folks, it's sixty days. For others, we've seen them out there looking for closer to six months, and then they just say, "I'll just renew my lease," or you know, "I've been on this month-to-month thing, but I gotta find a new place." I mean, Mm -hmm. at some point, the, you know, it just. It just becomes, like, laborious to try and find a place to live, especially with low inventory for those first-time homebuyers. I mean, I think that's a big piece of it.
3: Well, you know, one of the things, you know, kind of brings us into a later topic in the show, but bad versus good real estate agents, the good real estate agents with a first time home buyer are going to continue to make sure they understand these things. Hey, we might house might go on the market tomorrow, if we don't get out there and see it. And if the you know, agent isn't willing to do it, you know, more and more agents are having showing agents now so they can show their clients homes quicker. Um, You know, just it's got to be you have to know what the process is and understand you might lose three, four, five, six different houses before you find the right now th- that comes back don't just buy a house to buy a house so if you've lost six or seven houses and now the eighth one is like oh I like it and you know we put an offer in but you're not in love with it again you're this is your home um, on top of that the lack of inventory you know David I know you told me this I think probably two years ago it's just funny to me when we talk about the lack of inventory because let's say the lack of inventory went down from like Ten percent or fifteen percent. So now all of a sudden, you went from having like twenty thousand houses to be sold to like eighteen. There's still plenty yeah. of homes. <laughs> right. Um, it's the same thing when you when it comes to like you know there's. There's more loan officers out there these days, right? So now, because there's more loan officers, there's less loans for individual people. Well, you just work harder. And and the best, you know, that always comes to the top. So I don't see that impacting people as much as, like, the numbers say it is. Yes, on a whole, there are less homes out there to buy. But overall, I don't think there's a huge impact from one individual, either client, real estate agent, loan
2: officer, et cetera. I think it's so important just to have a good real estate agent because your real estate agent becomes your sales rep or become because you know when there's multiple offers on the line your real estate agent is presenting that offer to the sellers to the listing agent. So, you know, obviously it's a competitive market. There are, you know less homes out there. However, you know having a good real estate agent does benefit you in so many ways to help you win that offer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. at at less down, you know.
1: No, it really does. And You know, the other thing is be prepared, be ready. You know, that's – you can't – in in this market, for first-time buying, you can't just sort of, you know, casually, you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking, I'm popping into an open house. I mean, you've kind of got to be on your toes. you got to have your pre-approval ready. you got to, like, you know, be ready to move. Yeah, I agree.
0: And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we've been talking about here, we'll continue to talk about is, you know, here we are in January as the show airs. We've been talking about, you know – get out there and start looking now if right. you're serious about buying because come April and come May, every year, most parts of the country in the spring, that's when it starts to heat up. The competition heats up. Now, more homes will probably come on the market, but at the same time, right now, if you're willing to go out and look at homes, this isn't traditionally a time where there's a lot of buyers out there. So if you are serious and you do want to buy that first home, getting ahead of the competition in January or February I think is key, and we've mm-hmm. been talking about that 100%. quite a bit. Uh, we got some stats Michigan's housing market versus the nation. We're in Michigan, and so we're utilizing uh, that state just to sort of do a comparative here. And uh, I like to read the stats, bring them to the people. During the last 12 months, Michigan home prices had a rank of 15th with appreciation during the year of 6.87%. So almost 7% appreciation. The top-performing market during the last year was Nevada. Nevada Hmm. had an increase of almost 14%. Year over year, so if you bought a house in Nevada on average, uh, you know, let's call it a three hundred thousand dollars house, it went up fourteen percent of that number, which is you know nearly forty five thousand dollars. I guess the worst real estate market uh, during this uh, last twelve months was Alaska. I don't know what's going on up there. A little chilly. Nothing. It's always chilly nothing that's going hmm. on up there. Is the uh, problem uh, Still appreciation? Appreciation. Yeah, yeah.
1: basically flat point four percent. That's good or bad for Alaska?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm just wondering. Like, we have to look is, is at every Alaska year. Yeah,
1: every year, Alaska just like you know, just kind of
0: does nothing. Means, or like, is this,
2: there's <laughs> one more person that's moving there every year? That's why it's appreciating. Okay.
0: Very <laughs> the median for all markets was five point six percent. So basically, over the last year in the United States, the housing market was up over between five and six percent, which is kind of a nice number. Not too hot, not too mm. cold. Michigan a little hotter than that. If you look at the last, let's just call it five years of appreciation in Michigan. Uh, 7%, 5%, 6%, 7.5%, and nearly 7%. So nice steady growth uh, over the last, whatever you call it, five years. And if I'm doing the math right, you've gained about 30%, 35% on your uh, – on your investment. And certainly if you bought back in 2012, which was kind of when the turnaround happened, you've gained nearly 50% of value on average in your home. So Hmm. transitions us into, if you're interested in getting in the market, which a lot of folks are, what to know when you're buying a house. And so we talk about a couple of these things. I just thought we'd go around and maybe each pick one as we uh, talk about the biggest things to know when you're buying a house. Some of our listeners are thinking, hey, I want to buy a house. What do I need to know? Uh, maybe we want to just start from the top and work our way from there, Foster. Whatever you, uh, which one of these is your favorite, and which one do you want to harp on so that people can get the message?
3: Well, uh, you know, I think that do you have enough for a down payment slash do you have enough to get into a house? Um, you know, down payment is one thing. You know, so we'll have clients that you know call us mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I heard you can get into a house for three, you know, three percent down. I'm a first time home buyer. Absolutely, you can. What's the purchase price you're looking for?" 150,000. So that means I only need $4,500 to get into the house. And I think that's where sometimes the confusion may come with a first time home buyer is that's your down payment, but then you have your additional costs. So we've talked about it many times on the show. You know, we like to talk about the four quadrants. So you have your down payment, you have your lender costs, you have your title costs, and then you have your taxes and insurance. So, you know, just making sure, again, we talk about it all the time, but making sure that you get with an expert that understands, um, and sometimes even maybe if you don't feel comfortable with the first person you speak to, go and speak to another expert to make sure that you know you're getting the same information. And if you're not, you know that's the first sign that you know one of those people probably don't know what they're doing. So you really need to make sure you know how much money you have to you know
2: for the down payment. I think just going off of that, and um, you know, it ties into understanding your assets and income and things like that. So many people think that they want to put 20% down, but that's all they have. You know, and, you know, the last thing you want to do is tie up, you know, with appreciation and all that, tie up all this money mm-hmm. into your house and not have all anything right. for things that come up, repairs, you know, it's just anything that's major that and then now you have no cash and you got to put it on a credit card and things like that. So understanding that, you know, what are your difference in terms of payment between 5, 10, 15, 20% and understanding how much you really have in the bank that maybe for a rainy day you might need and yeah. couches
0: and mattresses can be expensive. So you need a little money for
1: that. Right? Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Um, just on that note, super quick is 15% down if you have good credit is a brilliant way to go. I mean, your mortgage insurance is next to nothing. Yeah. If right. at all, really. Yeah. Sometimes we can even waive it. 20 bucks. Um, yeah. It's nothing. Um, well, I guess I'll pick check your credit. Okay. And uh, I'll pick that one because I think, you know, nowadays there is a lot more awareness around your credit score there's a lot more access to your credit score but the big misconception is that credit karma tells me my score is 705 i'm good to go and it's a completely different model algorithm calculating system you know the easy quick here's my credit score scores are not the same as a mortgage credit report as we know and it's important to know that because if you're kind of on that fringe, like, hey, you know, I got a 640 here. I'm, I should be good. You might not when it comes to the mortgage side. So, And I'll just wrap that part up by emphasizing that
0: point. I was reading the study. I don't know exactly where the guy got his numbers, but he took – Two people that uh, were both, I think they were 23 or 24 years old, and he extrapolated, like, all the things that they might buy as an average consumer up until they were 65 years old and they retired. And one guy had a 630 credit score his whole life, and the other guy had a 770 credit score his whole life. And he had computed the interest on homes and cars and everything else he was going to buy. And the interest cost differential between those two people were 6 figures, mm. wow. $100,000 plus in interest that they were going to pay. I think it was actually more significant than that, but it, it was a big number. And the whole point is that for you to have great credit, which to some degree is a choice if you know, for a lot of people... Or poor credit, you just pay so much more in interest. And I don't think people totally realize mm-hmm. that. And that's mm-hmm. a, a message that we'll continue to talk about. Well, one, um, last,
3: one last point on that in, in regards to what CP, you know, one of the things I tell a lot of our clients when they say credit karma or, you know, I, I don't want to continue to like rip on credit karma. No. There's a lot of, you know, companies out there that give you your consumer credit score. But it's credit karma or the consumer credit reports are, what have you done for me lately? Whereas a mortgage credit report is, hey, I'm about to borrow you 200 300 400 I need to see how your credit's been over a 7, 10-year period. Right. And to CP's point, yeah. those are the algorithms that TransUnion and Equifax and Experian use to make sure that we know what your true mortgage credit score is. Yep.
0: So something we don't talk about on the show a lot, but I thought we'd take a minute maybe to educate some folks about what to look for in homeowner's insurance quotes other than price. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I've, I've been educated on homeowner's insurance because I can remember being a young person and thought, yeah, just, I'm going to go with the cheapest one. And then what you realize over time is, Whatever is in your coverage is very important to you if something goes wrong. (laughs) It's not important to you when you're just paying the monthly bill and everything's fine. But then when you need coverage and then you realize, oh, yeah, no, you didn't have coverage for this, that, or this, or that, and you could have opted to have that, it's a really interesting conversation, I think. Anything strike you guys just in terms of your experiences with homeowners insurance as it relates to either yourself or clients and what you guys look for in that that's other than just – price which is sort of on the surface and what a lot of people look at.
3: Well one of the things that strikes me is, you know, when we send out a loan estimate, which is, you know, the document that your clients want to see to make sure they know what they're paying and their rates and their costs. One of the things that we have to do on a purchase transaction is we have to estimate what we believe your homeowner's insurance is going to be. So I know our team, you know, we typically are somewhere between like a $75 a month or a $900 a year premium upwards to maybe a $1,500 a year premium because that's where we typically see them. But it'll be funny because at the end of the transaction, you know, I'll estimate 125 for somebody on a $400,000 home and I'll be reviewing their documents and they went and got it and all of a sudden their homeowner's insurance is like 650 a year, it's like, how are you doing that right (laughs) and some of the reasons are probably one they're picking the cheapest homeowner insurance but number two homeowner's insurance and i just found this out two years ago you have a homeowner's insurance like credit score Mm -hmm. and as you get older and you don't make claims and you know you're a good insurer or a sure e i guess you should should, i should say you know that's where it kind of allows you to get these better things on the on the other side of things i've seen people that $150,000 $150,000 house and their policy $3,000 yeah, a year because d- yeah. they may be insuring something inside of their home. Yep. They may have a lot of land. So it's crazy to see it. It's not something that on a mortgage end of things, we really like know right off the bat what it's going to be, but a lot of good points here. I'll let you guys continue. Yeah,
0: Well, I think that, you know, in terms of knowing what your deductible is, your replacement cost, the cash value, uh, there's just a lot of things that you can go over. And I think Just like we're going to get into what is a good real estate agent, a good insurance agent is very valuable, especially because it's rare that somebody can explain it to you in simple terms and make you really understand the differences, and then when you start to break it down, if they're good— You know, and you're going to pay $20 extra a month or $40 extra a month, but you're getting so much more in your coverage, you can see where it might be worth it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, just super, super quick, like, personal story. We have a trampoline in the backyard, right? This could be like the uh, (laughs) timeshare story from last week. nothing like that. I'm looking forward to didn't it blow away? No, it didn't. But we've had it for years uh, for our kids. And... Big um, trampoline, small trampoline. You know, trampoline. with the net and the yeah. this and the Yeah, decent that. size. Yeah, decent size, size right? A couple, um, couple bouncers on it or Oh, just yeah. One bouncer? No, no, okay, no, You okay. Can get a couple bouncers. on there, right. You can, got it. And um, when we got it, my, uh, my insurance agent is a buddy of mine, and so he was by the house one day, and he was like, whoa, 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 what's that? You know? And I'm like, what? Trampoline. He's like, I got to know about that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And it's absolutely true. Trampolines like are his worst nightmare, right? I mean, you need like the right kind of coverage because a kid gets hurt on that, you know, screwing around or whatever. Not your kid, someone else's kid. I mean, you've got to have the right umbrella policies. And I mean, did you change your coverage? I think we already had it. Okay. Um. uh, So that was good. But you know, I'm I'm a moron when it comes to that (laughs) stuff. I don't know more. I don't know uh, homeowners insurance. So I, you know, I. It's kind of like, I hope people feel about us, like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm relying on someone who knows what they're talking about. But yeah, no, very important. Very important. Very important.
0: Um, Okay, we're going to transition. Choosing (coughs) the right real estate agent. An interesting topic this week that we wanted to cover, good versus bad real estate agents. So you know, everybody's had their experiences with agents. I know what some of my hot buttons are as it relates to how you find a good agent and what makes a good agent. I wanted to hear from you guys. I mean, Henry, you deal with as many real estate sure. agents as anybody. Chris, you do too. I mean you guys all do. Right. You know, what do you guys find? What are the characteristics? And then, you know, if you find that you don't have the right agent, how do you sort of wiggle out of that and find the right person? Because it's all about a a match of what you're looking for.
2: Correct. I think um, you know, in any industry, it's whether it's ours or real estate or whatnot, it's communication. Um, I think yep. being you know, super upfront about uh, just communicating upfront. This is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to communicate with you being on the same page with your clients. Um, you know, I've heard the feedback from agents. I've heard the feedback from clients, uh, from, uh, from agents. It's like, you know, the client didn't communicate back with me or like, I can't get in communication with the client. Well, that's kind of your fault because, you know, the client needs something and you can't get a hold of them. That's, that's on you. Um, they're just going to go somewhere else. hmm um but that's that's number one so number two would probably be um you know the timeline and just the follow-up um i think that you know sometimes clients aren't ready to go for a year two years three years and agents you know bad agents forget about those clients um but and you know setting up a follow-up for once a month or once every you know couple months it's a simple thing to do a s- simple text uh, but a good agent will do that, yeah. Um, and that's how they make, get a lot of business. That's how they get repeat clients. That's how they get referrals. That's right. Yeah.
1: You know, and and I think it it it's there's so much to this, right? I mean, there's so many ways we can go with it. Uh, and just to kind of look at it simplistically, um, it, it almost boils down to just the same things that that define a good versus a bad person. You know what I mean? I mean, it really can be that simple. Um, you know, agents that that. We've talked to occasionally, you know, we get the client that is maybe a little more labor-intensive than other clients. Some yeah. clients are easy. Some are not easy. Some people are. Some people are not. Yeah. Um, you know, and the agent that, for example, is maybe grieving to us a little bit about, you know, the number of homes they've had to show this particular person. I mean, it's like That's it's kind of your, <laughs> your job, isn't it? Like, you know, I don't want to tell you. Um you know, so much, but but the real good experience agents, like we touched on earlier, when you get in a situation of, of making an offer, and maybe it's a competitive situation, they know so many tricks of how to get your offer up front and how to make your offer more attractive. Um, same type of thing when, when selling your home. You know, the, the the ones that with a lot of experience that are they're just crafty, you know, and I, I'm Doing a bad job of of explaining exactly what I mean by this, but um, well, you're just saying they have a lot of wisdom
0: and savviness yeah, about right. what they're doing. What and they they're make doing. it work. They do. You know? They, they make, it work. make
1: it work. There's a lot more than just saying, you know, if you're looking for to buy a home, you know, I'm going to put you on a on a campaign. I'm going to send you listings. They're going to show up in your email every day. Let me know when you want to go see one. I mean, yeah. there's a lot more to it than sure.
0: that. Well, I have a top couple rules, and some some agents may or may not like this. You know that I'm saying this, but I think for me personally. When I've seen good and bad agents over time, one of the things is if you're harping on, if you're finding homes that you're seeing that are listed ahead of your agent contacting you, you're with the wrong agent. Because some clients care more about getting into the house than the agent. And to me, a great agent is on top of things that are coming out every day. They're even ahead of it because they're networked in with other real estate agents in those communities. So they're hearing, hey, this house might come up next week. They're calling their client in advance. I mean, that just feels good when you have an agent like that. The second thing is the non-responsiveness, the the text or the email that goes unreturned for a day or two. And, I mean, we in the mortgage business are in a very responsive business just like real estate agents are. And if you're going to be good, you just don't have the I, – I just don't believe a good real estate agent can be – you know, not responsive in a very quick period of time. And then then it's all the intangibles, right? And to your point, it's about people. It's about how do you – got to be able to read people. Who's, like, kind of tire-kicking that's, you know, somebody Mm -hmm. that you can get to when you – and who's, like, hot, wants to buy? Like, sometimes I've felt like over the years I've had to explain to somebody, like – I am the hottest buyer you have right now. I need some <laughs> attention because you don't have a – and other times I've been like, you know, I'm just looking. I've still got this, and I'm not ready to sell you. So it's like having that communication piece. I think great agents are great communicators, and then they can understand what their clients want. But there's a lot yeah. to it. And unfortunately, and it's just like our business, it's like a lot of businesses, you have your top 10% of the agents who are the ones you probably want to deal with. And then you have like in my opinion that next 10% maybe they don't sell quite as much but they are good communicators and they're good with people and maybe they're not like you know top 1% salesperson right. but they they still do a good job. But then you got this sort of bottom 70 or 75% and a lot of them are not great communicators and then you find out man there's really a difference. It's not just because when people tell me they have an agent, I always ask them, well, what's that mean? Do you like your agent? Do you feel comfortable? Are they meeting your needs? What's that look like? So I think that there's a lot to it. And certainly, then people sometimes will feel stuck. Well, it's my agent. I don't really trust him that much, or I don't right. really like them. but that's how it's gone. Anything to add to that, Foss?
3: I, I mean, just clients don't know what they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. They think that an agent is an agent for... For the most part. So, you know, that's one of the things we try to do is when somebody doesn't have an agent, explaining the benefits of somebody that already we've worked with um, or we do work with on a weekly and and monthly basis. So I think that'd be the biggest thing out of this is just make sure you're doing your research, just like you do when getting a mortgage with your real estate agent. It really can be that much of a difference. It's like Mm -hmm. saying a
0: video guy's a video guy. I mean, we got Chris. You know, I mean, there's there's a difference, (laughs) right? There's a difference. Yep. (laughs) It's not just... It's not just one-size-fits-all. Right, Jackie? It's good to have you here today. Glad you could make it. Yeah, are you? Okay, good. Rent versus buy. we got two subjects left to go. Uh, Maybe, uh, yeah, two subjects. Three subjects. Rent versus buy. A few questions to consider. So we have seen scenarios, and I thought we should highlight these on the show. I was going to put each of you guys on the spot and kind of reverse it. When should people rent? When is it not smart to buy? Because there are scenarios where renting is the right thing for people versus buying. Now, we know that, you know, we just detailed earlier in the show, if you bought a house five years ago and you've picked up 20 or 30%, 30-some percent, on that appreciation of that, then, you know, that's, that's obviously money you're making. But, you know, a house is also an expense to some degree in addition to that appreciation, whereas renting, you're not getting the appreciation but oftentimes, you don't have to fix the things that are broken. Somebody else is taking care of that. But I just want to get a sense from you guys. If you could come up with one scenario each of who should be renting versus buying, who would you talk about that should be renting? What category? of <laughs> Henry?
2: 100%. <laughs> Why is that? Super convenient. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to ever fix anything. People yeah. come by and fix things for you. Yeah. Uh, you're not responsible for anything. Although now, you are. told
0: me you're going to buy this year or next year. Correct. Yeah. I mean, when you have
2: so- no money- <laughs> <laughs> that's what you read. No, just kidding. Um, you know, when when you're when you're young and you don't have money saved up, right? And you don't want to throw all your money into a house, right? I mean, that's probably you want to build up a little nest egg. Yeah, yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a lot
3: easier right now just to talk about probably the people that should be renting and then everybody else should be buying, right? There's probably. In my opinion, you know, two, three, four different scenarios where people should be renting. So, you know, you get a job at GM, but you're somebody that they're gonna, you know, you're gonna, they're gonna probably move you again in two years. Well, you buy a house, you spend two or three thousand dollars on closing costs plus your down payment. Then two or three years later, not only did the market go down a little bit potentially, but at the same time, now you got to get a real estate agent, which now you have to pay the real estate. So it's got to be the stability of being there, at least thinking that you're going to be there for, you know, I'd probably say a three to at least five-year period minimum if you're not really looking to the cost not only up front but on the back end of things as well. Yeah. I,
0: I, I was going to say to do the analysis because, to your point, if I'm moving to a new city and taking a new job somewhere, let's say I'm moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. I might find some places that I think are rentable or nice rentals for, let's call it, you know, $1,800 a month. And then I'm out, I'm looking at a few houses or a condo to buy, and I'm doing the math on that. And you kind of got to figure it out. That's where you're a good mortgage guy can come into play by saying, okay, you're going to need this much up front. Then you're going to pay this much a month versus that. And to your point, short-term housing often can be a better rental situation. I also think that for people that are young that don't have great credit yet, mm-hmm. I think that making your credit a priority versus right. buying is often a good idea. You don't, you know, you can have a six fifty score and buy a house and there's certainly good options, but almost like I almost like to see somebody who's like twenty three or twenty four who's thinking that way. Hey, in the next year, I'm gonna get my credit up to seven twenty, then I'm gonna buy. You right. know, because there's there's a mm-hmm. discipline that exists around that. Any other CPU? Yeah, no, got? that
1: was the piece I was gonna mention was the credit. I mean, if your credit is, you know, not Really, where it needs to be, then yeah. you really should rent and make your credit a focus. Yeah.
0: Speaking of credit, credit info, uh, I just wanted to take a minute just to talk to the folks about you know things that are affecting their score, areas that you can improve your score. I think that you know the obvious thing with credit that is most important. To everybody is paying all of your bills on time. I know there's a few other things that you guys might want to mention just quickly as we. Uh, sort of wrap up the subjects of the show this week, but like, if you could give somebody one piece of credit advice that you think they may not know, what do you think you would tell somebody if they walked in here today and say, "Hey, I don't, I don't really understand why my credit score is lower than I thought it would be"?
1: What would be one thing that you might see there? Um, I have seen a lot of people with very, very good credit, but they got pissed off over some like medical thing or whatever the case may be, yeah. and they will. H- a hard line 90 dollars. yeah of like i'm not paying that they screwed me over and this yeah. and that and they have some dumb little collection account thing yeah that absolutely will destroy you yeah and i i'm all for taking a stand and you know <laughs> trust me you, know, you more than anybody yeah, i mean i'll <laughs> go against the man right along with you but man are you cutting off your nose to spite your face yeah, when you do a good that point so
3: i i think one of the biggest things that we see is like for people um that had bad credit so whether or not you got into credit card debt when you were in college and you know you weren't able to pay it and you had collections but then you know you started to grow up a little bit you paid it off you started to see your score increase now because these people had bad experiences with credit cards, they now don't uh, use them, yeah, correct. Um, you, you need to use revolving credit. It's one of the biggest things that'll start to improve your credit because it shows the bureaus um, you know, that you are now responsible. Maybe you weren't in the past and that goes hand in hand with you know, credit won't change overnight. I'm seeing these commercials online these days where like, you can click a button now and my credit my instantly went up 20 points. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's yeah. those consumer credit reports. That's not your mortgage or your auto credit reports. Again, we could probably do a whole show on credit just yeah. to explain all the differences, but you know, use revolving credit. Don't go on the old myth of, hey, have a balance remember i don't think people think that anymore but i remember at the start of my career was like well Susie orman told me that i need to have a balance and not pay it off in full every month that doesn't matter using the card paying it off every month not getting interest will increase your credit
2: and not closing accounts that was my thing there you go not close accounts keep them open use a little pay it off that's probably yeah. the best habit you can have. My
0: biggest other thing would be if you have a credit card that has like $3,000 on it, don't max it. Just use right. like 1200 a 1000 30 to 40% of it and pay it off every month. Yeah. When you get those balances up there right near the limit, it actually drags your score a little bit. Mm-hmm. So and that's something that a lot of people don't know is that if I have a $5,000 credit card, Well, why can't I use forty-five hundred and then pay it off? When the credit reporting agencies read that, they think you're maxing out your credit. And if you have a bunch of those where it looks like you're extended, even if you're paying it off, sometimes it can drag your score. So I like either raise your balance from two thousand, your your limit rather, from two thousand to four thousand, and only use that fifteen hundred again, so that you're creating room in there at, at the top end of what you have. I think the
2: last thing I'll say too is beware of who's pulling your credit. And be aware of when your credit is being pulled because too many, uh, you know, inquiries inquiries over time, you know, it's bad for you. One uh, more thing.
1: Oh. Just because you paid something off, too, that was a problem. Oh, that collection account? All good. Paid it. Yeah. It's like – That's not how that works. It doesn't work that (laughs) way. It it happens. It takes a little time. It takes a little while.
0: Uh, last subject of the show, kind of an interesting one. Who doesn't need to refinance right now? We've heard some, I mean, so many people maybe. are refinancing. There's a um, obviously a great opportunity right now for people to either lower their payment, maybe shorten their term. Maybe they even extend their term if they want to create some more room for them themselves from a budget standpoint. Maybe they have credit card debt. They want to do home improvement. These low rates create an environment for so many people to refinance. But who doesn't? need to refinance right now
2: if you're looking to sell your house in the next probably six months to a year or just a short time frame probably don't need to refinance i good. mean even if you're in a high rate yeah I mean, you're gonna be in the house for such a short period of time. Yeah, it's a good one yep. i i again
3: I, I i go back to you know if you don't fit into these three or four categories, then you don't need to refinance, you're not looking to take any of your equity out, you're not paying PMI, right? So if you're paying PMI, you probably do need to refinance. If you have a good rate, and you're not paying PMI, and you don't need equity, then you probably don't need to refinance. And then last but not least the term, right? So depending on your rate, you know, we'll we'll get calls once in a while. And it'll be, you know, I have 28 years left at 3.5% on a 30 year, I really want to get into a a 15-year loan, you know, that's kind of like a 50-50 because even though you're probably not going to get that much better of a rate on your... Are you responsible enough every month to continue to make your payment as a Mm 15-year? Some people, we've had clients that really say to us, like, Chris, I know my rate's pretty good, and I could just pay extra, but I'm not, you know, responsible enough to do that. So if you can get my rate at or below where I'm at right now, I'd rather do a 15-year because that's going to be what works for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything, CP? No, I mean, I think we kind of covered it. You know, obviously, if you don't have a mortgage, yeah. um, then you don't need to refinance. Yeah, it. that's a good point. Unless you Unless need you money. Need <laughs> the other <laughs> the other
0: <laughs> folks are like the ones that took out a 15-year like 12 years ago and they only have 3 years left. Even if they have a higher rate, oftentimes they're so deep into the principal now that yeah. there's no need yeah. to refinance. Right. And if you have like a small balance, if you only owe let's say 25,000 on your mortgage, you could be at like 6%, but the difference between 6 and 4 just isn't that great no. at 20,000, so mm-hmm. it's not worth it. Um well, good job this week, guys. I mean, I feel like that we really good. went through a lot of information on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, no time share. We had a little trampoline issue. Trampoline. You know, I'd like to bring something out. <laughs> uh, Henry <laughs> revealed to everybody that he needs to work harder to make more money because he just doesn't have the money to buy a house yet. Right. Working on it, though. He's right. got right. bad credit. He's I a think. young guy. <laughs> He's <really laughs> no, got <decent> I <laughs> <laughs> bet that Henry's pristine <laughs> yeah. if I know pretty, him.
3: Pretty good. Any parting shots, Foss? Um, I believe the Carolina, um, North Carolina – NCAA Division One basketball team is now eight and nine on
2: the season. Wow, um, mm. not
3: sure. Where Henry that was is talking
0: line. a lot of smack before the season. I didn't too. talk
2: about our team this year. Yes, you okay. did. Okay. Yes, you did. When we had Cole Anthony. Yes, you okay. were mm.
0: texting me, and you were. We lost all, half our okay. team. We're, okay. we're playing with. But where where are the rest of the guys? What's what's next man up? I mean, a well, lot Roy, of teams go next man up. when your coach
2: gives up on your team. <laughs> oh. He's wow. not he's he's, he's famous. He That's said it? this is the worst team I've ever coached yeah. huh. essentially. He said least, talented. least talent. Least talent and CP yeah. worst team I've ever coached. CP was at a
3: a historic Big 10 moment last week. He right. uh, was at the game in East Lansing where uh, Mr. Winston <laughs> Um, got the all-time Big Ten assist record That's over right. 15 Kind cool. That's right. Yeah, it was it. very,
1: very cool. We yeah. were uh, we we were aware of it, and we were counting down as we were sitting there and watching the game. And it was not one of Cassius's like most you know prolific games by any means. He was yeah. kind of quiet, and so we were we were wondering if he was going to get it, but he got it. Went it was with good. the buddies to the game? before or
2: after the Purdue game. Uh, this after after Purdue yeah. was before that. Yeah.
1: What do you? Like,
0: Henry's always I'm taking about. shots. Yeah, He's kind of shots. a hater. I'm yeah. you know? um, 100%. Uh, and this Saturday is Mr. Foster's birthday. Happy wow. birthday, Foz. Thanks. Uh, That's yep. big news. 44. Led with that. What are you turning 43, 44?
3: Minus 6. 38. Okay. Atta boy.
0: For everybody it. here at Live on Real Estate, Jackie, Chris, the whole crew, Henry, CP, Foz, thanks for uh, listening and watching this week, and we'll see you in February.
2: Take care.